Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Transatlantic Crime. No time to waste, is there? No time to waste. You're finishing your day and I am starting my day. (laughs) (laughs) I know. After this, I've got to drive home to Andover. Oh. Tomorrow, I've got tomorrow off work. I'm going to go and see Elton John in Hyde Park. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really good. Um, Me and my friend Ria are going and she lives in Vietnam and she's come back from Vietnam for like weddings and stuff. So I haven't seen her in like three or four years. She's like one of my best friends. That's going to be so fun. Yeah, it'll be really good. And then I come back, see Tom, and then I've got to go and watch the Elvis movie with my stepdad. He was like, <laughs> he was like dad, your stepdad's obsessed with Elvis. I don't know if we've mentioned fucking, that on the podcast, but yeah. He fucking loves it. He's got a tattoo covering his entire back with the um, yeah. gates of Graceland, which I've yet to show you a picture of. <laughs> you, you just told me that while you were here last month and I was shocked. I had no I, idea. I swear I mentioned it. I swear I mentioned it. I feel like I talk about it loads. No. Not. Yeah, I will get a picture of it for you. I'll tell him that you want to see it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to go and watch the Elvis movie. And I think he was like, oh, does someone co- want to come and watch it with me? And my mum was like, no more Elvis. <laughs> so I, think, like, <laughs> I, have, I have to take the bullet. Oh, <laughs> that's nice of you. I hope it's a good movie. Apparently Harry Styles wanted to play Elvis. Mm-hmm. They were like, nah, fuck off, mate. <laughs> they just got somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if he would make a good Elvis. He's a bit skinny. I feel like he would have changed for the part. I feel like he would have bulked up. He yeah. would have taken it very seriously. Harry Styles is very, he takes his stuff seriously. Yeah, definitely. And he likes a jumpsuit. Like he wears jumpsuits <laughs> all the time. <laughs> he loves a jumpsuit. He loves doing his hair. So he's already halfway there. Yeah, yeah. He wears lots of rings. <laughs> he's got the right color hair. Yeah, he has got like quite a cute little turned up nose as well. And Elvis has got a cute little turned up nose. Yeah, his face isn't like a million miles away, but. He yeah. just got absolutely fucking pied off. They were yeah. like, no fucking <laughs> <Sorry>. chance. <laughs> Sorry, you're too British. So that's savage. Cool. Uh, All right, yeah, What what's your story? Oh, my quick story about Elvis. My godmother, she used to tell her kids that if Elvis ever came to her door, that she would just leave everything and leave <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> But then I remember my mom saying that, telling that to us, and then my mom picked someone and her person was Keanu Reeves. If Keanu Reeves ever came what? to the door, she would drop everything and leave. So I'm asking oh my you, God. <laughs> do you have one? Oh, God. Uh, probably Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? But I don't know how nice he is as a person. Like, Elvis <laughs> Elvis seems really nice. and yeah. um. Keanu Reeves is famously nice. Yeah. But Jake Gyllenhaal, I think Taylor Swift wrote a song about him that was basically like, you're a cunt. Yeah, you're so a jerk. I think he might be, I want Elvis's personality. Well, to be fair, if it was Elvis, like young Elvis. Yeah. Young Elvis. 100%. Sure. Yeah. He's fucking fit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Who's yours? Um, mine would have been Heath Ledger. That is obviously. an absolute classic. Yeah. Like every girl that ever watched 10 Things I Hate About You was absolutely wide for Heath Ledger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He, he's my one. And then when he died, I was like, well, I guess there's no one else for me. <laughs> my, like the true Catholic you are, your, your love died with him. <laughs> yes. yes exactly. No one else on this earth. What about, um, have you got like a weird crush, like somebody that you, you don't know why you find them attractive and you kind of know they're not attractive, but you're still like, I totally would. I get crushes on people all the time. So. Oh, <laughs> like people, you know, or just celebrities. Everyone. All the time. That's so cute. <laughs> I would love, like, if I was a boy, I would love to hear that you had a crush on me. <laughs> You should tell people. Okay. But then, it, you know, and then I like learn one little thing about them or, you know, <laughs> and then I'm like, not anymore. Dead forever. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, like, for some reason, like, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. He I always plays evil, but <laughs> like, he's just such a fucking good actor that he's, he's so good. that makes him kind of hot. Oh, yeah. Even though I he's- mean, I get attracted to talent all the time, like Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Or like. Yeah, yeah. If you're super talented, Andrew Garfield, I think he's not like. Oh yeah, you told me about that. <laughs> but he's such a good actor. He just is like, a good actor. You just want to be around it, and he seems nice as well. He seems lovely. He does. Yes. He's not for me because he's just so clean shaven. <laughs> but um, apparently, like you know Zendaya. Yeah. She said that she forgot he was English because he does yeah. such a good American accent, and he's yeah. always always plays Americans. And she was like, I just totally forgot that he he actually is British. Yeah, I saw that interview and, and he was like, oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that is testament. Because if you think about like some of the worst accents, Leo Dio in Blood Diamond and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like some people cannot Blue. nail it. <laughs> Blue. Blue. <laughs> or have you seen it? I don't know if you said you saw it last time, but Mel Gibson in Braveheart, his Scottish accent is just up and I've down. I watched it. <laughs> is inconsistent (laughs) i've watched i've watched it once and i was a little bit drunk and i've only ever seen it once but i remember you saying it's like one of your favorite films of all time it's like it's just my comfort movie (laughs) i know what you mean like my comfort movie is probably me myself and irene anything jim carrey is funny as fuck yeah and he's like one of those actors that is yet to come out as a piece of shit so I mean, I think it might be coming, but like... He did. Did he? What's he done now? Don't ruin this for me. I'm sorry. I think I know. Is it that he's just basically like white male privilege all over and is like, you can just think yourself into a better life. And it's like, you're a fucking millionaire. Like, how can you say that to people? Yeah. Was that it? Sort of. I mean, it goes further than that. He dated this girl and then... Oh, God. Afterwards, she committed suicide and not you know she was depressed or whatever but he wasn't very nice to her in what you were just saying like oh you just have to change your mindset or blah 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 and I think her family took it really hard and they blamed him a lot and I don't know if he was very nice to them either afterwards or god People can look it up. I, I don't know that much about it, but there was that was in the news a couple of years ago that he just wasn't yeah. very nice about certain things. 
he yeah he kind of has this like toxic positivity yeah where and also there was something about anti-vaxxing he said some derogatory stuff about the covid vaccine i think or vaccines in general that also put me off yeah but i think it's one of those things like We've discussed this so many times, but you know, when you listen to like R. Kelly or you listen to Michael Jackson and the music is good. There's no denying that. And it was good before you found out they were sex offenders. Right. Right. And it's still good now, but they definitely are sex offenders. Uh, Yeah. It's a bit, I try and kind of separate the art and the artist when it comes to Jim Carrey, because I'm like, what you did isn't so awful that I should boycott you completely. But mm. it just means you're really not my kind of person. Like, I wouldn't yeah. approach that person because it would just ruin everything that I liked about that person. Yeah, like, in my head, he wasn't that guy. But <laughs> in real life, he clearly is. Yeah. yeah. What uh, true crime stuff have you been listening to or watching or reading? Yeah, I binged watched this show on Hulu. I think it might be on Disney for you guys over there. It mm-hmm. is called The Deep End. Have you heard of it? Ooh, no. What's it about? It's about this female, she says she's not, and her followers say she's not, but she clearly is, a cult leader. Her name is Teal Swan. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it gets pretty intense because she's one of those, she's like, I don't know how old she is, but she looks like she's around our age. And Mm -hmm. she is one of those positivity you could change your life type people, but also spirituality mm-hmm. mixed in. Like I'm connected to the one spirit and and people go on retreats with her and she does kind of like crazy like water rituals and fire rituals and stuff like that in Utah. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting and intense. I would definitely recommend it. It's called The Deep End. Yeah. You kind of want to binge it because I don't know if you would want to return back to it after <laughs> after watching <laughs> once it. You, once you strap in, you just yeah. got to get to the end of the roller coaster. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds really good. Also, I hate this kind of new agey, it's a real bastardization of like ancient yeah. native and mm-hmm. um, tribal like rituals. And it's just some white chick from fucking Ohio or whatever. And they're like... <laughs> Oh, I'm so in touch with that. It's just like, no, you're not. Like, you're fucking yeah. charging people like hundreds of dollars to come and do whatever the oh, thing thousands. you fucking made up. Teal Swan is charging like thousands of dollars. Yeah. You can tell that she is a narcissist. Everything that's important to her in the documentary is like her image and keeping her image and uh, making sure that people don't put her down in the media or that people people come to see her and they you know they're they talk about killing themselves and then if they end up killing themselves then the families blame her because she will say like well if you feel like there's nothing else on this earth for you then what's wrong with exploring death yeah Uh, that's the fact that you'll die (laughs) (laughs) yeah also that's not very good business model No, it's not. But I think her stance on it is like, it's okay to explore that thought and like go down that thought and uh, see what comes up for you. 
And that's Dude, her she is take not on a medical it. health professional. No, like, <laughs> not at all. And that's no, one she's of the not worst a psychologist. Parts. Right. Yeah, she should not be giving advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to suicidal people. Right. So that's yeah. uh, that's a big part of the documentary is her doing that. And also, t- uh, I don't know if she's white. Just to oh, comment okay. on what you were saying before, I don't know if she is. Yeah. So just just put that out there. I don't know if she is. Uh, well, my sentiment still stands for all the white chicks that are doing it. And anyone yeah. who it's not their fucking culture and they've like just right. picked parts of different cultures that they like yeah. and rolled it into this money-making scheme. Like, yeah, I totally agree. It's uh, not fucking it's cool. not cool. Yeah. So I dove back into the staircase briefly. Ooh. Uh, you know, the HBO one with Colin yes. Firth. Yeah. And dude, he is such a good actor. He is. He's so fucking good. He's so subtle. Also, the lawyer, he's got like a salt and pepper beard and he kind of looks a bit like kind of okay. New York-y Jewish guy. Yeah. And the actor looks so much like him. Really? It's incredible. And they've got Henry Lee, you know, the like uh, blood spatter expert. Yeah. They've got a guy who like plays him perfectly. Wow. Um, they've got Werner Spitz in it, who's like a really famous forensic uh, pathologist, but... The guy who plays him looks like him, kind of, but has got this weird accent that isn't German. Okay. <laughs> like, obviously, Werner Spitz is, I think he's either German or Austrian or something. And yeah, yeah the guy's accent is all over the fucking shop. But um, uh, also, the girl from Game of Thrones, like, plays one of the daughters, you know, Sophie Sansa. Mm-hmm. And she's good. She has, she, like, noticeably has a lot more lines than the other actresses and actors mm. that play the kids. Uh, so I think that's probably part of her contract. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm not like, I need to be like a main part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they're all, it's done really well. But there's like a part where the lawyers are going through what they're going to say happened to the jury. And I can't remember the name of the actress that plays Kathleen Peterson, but they do this shot where they, because you know, um, the defense theory is that she fell down the stairs and then slipped on her own blood and then fell again. And that's why she's got so many lacerations to her head. Okay. That's the theory. Yeah. And they play that out with the actress and it is fucking horrible. Oh. Like, it's so horrible. You know, when you expect the camera to like pan away or like it just doesn't. Yeah. And she just plays it so well. Yeah. Henry Lee says that the reason there's splatters of blood at the wall is because she coughs and stuff and she does that. Like, uh, it's really horrible to watch, but really well done bit of um, acting. I don't, I don't know if I like that. I, I just feel like that is too close. <clears throat> it's like when we watched Candy while you were here, the Hulu yeah, show yeah. with Jessica Biel, and they do that too, yeah. and it's after a true story. Yeah, they it's just like really show you the murder, don't they? Yeah, I, I feel like there has to be, I don't know if respect is the right word, but a little bit of uh respect for the dead or the families or so like because these are true stories i just yeah i mean i don't know if i like it i think i don't know if they're going to show it him actually killing her because obviously the way they're showing it is that it was an accident just like he said it was yeah but as it's happening it that you then kind of realize that like oh they're not showing it like it actually happened they're showing it like that's what they're going to say Right. So there might be another scene where it shows him murdering her, which mm. again is horrible, but like yeah. 
the bit I found most uh, offensive about it was the fact that it's like, how can you show that? Like, I don't think that's what what happened. Right. And by showing it that way, it kind of like adds adds credence to the theory of that is what happened. Yeah, that's so true. And that's what annoyed me. And the acting is so good and so convincing that you're like, oh, like if you thought it was innocent, you'd be like, well, that's exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, that isn't how it happened. (laughs) It just totally isn't. Because even in the the recreation, like she smacks her head like twice Mm -hmm. maximum. Right. And in the autopsy, she had like seven. Right. Along with the theme of this episode, blunt force trauma. Right. Like she had like seven wounds on her head. And there's no way, even in that recreation, that she whacked her head seven times. With it's that amount true. of force to break her skin. That just can't no way. happen. It's fucking dog shit, mate. It's absolute. You are fucking delusional if you think that's what happened. Yeah. I don't know like how the lawyers thought that something like that would work for them. And also to add to that, his other wife died yeah. the exact same yeah. fucking way. <laughs> right. Like, come on. If you took away his old wife... Possibly it's more believable. More believable. Mm. Not believable, but more yeah. believable. Add the ex-wife into the mix and that is fucking insanity right. that he would right. try and get away with that twice. Right. So thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great segue into our theme this week, our second part. Yes, it really is. So yours story last week was a bit of sort of old-timey murder. Mm-hmm. This one's kind of recent. It's pretty brutal, but it's super interesting because the conclusion is so not sorted out in this crime oh you hate Um, these kinds right i I do i really do but like i heard about this and i was like shit why haven't i heard about this before and then i went down like a massive hole last week and i was finding everything i could on it like (laughs) watching all the documentaries listening to all the podcasts and stuff and like googling it so are you gonna have a theory at the end of it do you have your final thought on i I really don't (gasps) Really? I really okay. don't. So uh, to source this, I listened to an, a podcast called They Walk Among Us, which is which I really enjoy. It's okay. super serious. Like he's a British guy and he only covers UK crimes. Mm-hmm. So he did a really good two-parter on this and it's episode 49 and episode 15. Okay. And then there's a BBC documentary, which is amazing, Ooh. called The Chillenden Murders. So yeah, the case I'm covering today is called The Chillenden Murders. Okay. Sounds familiar. Okay. Does it? Oh, okay. So at about 4pm on Tuesday, the 9th of July, 1996, 45-year-old Dr. Lynn Russell and her two daughters, six-year-old Megan and nine-year-old Josie, set off to walk home after a swimming gala at their local school. And they also had their family dog, Lucy, with them, who's super cute. Um, So they took a way home that followed a deserted country lane in the town of Chillenden in Kent in England. So Kent is below London and then towards the East Coast. Yep. So I've, I don't think I've ever really been there. I've been to Margate, which is in Kent, but on the coast. But yeah, it's quite far away from... It's like the opposite end of the country to where Bristol is. Okay. So the walk should have taken about 45 minutes. And at about 4.25pm, as they... So they're halfway along their walk, really, nearly three quarters... And Mm -hmm. as they were walking along a place called Cherry Garden Lane, it's just a quiet dirt track. Uh, You know what kind of field I'm talking about, where like there's a cornfield either side of you or like a cornfield and a grass field and then just like hedges and then a single track lane. Yes. 
Yeah. So like if very, a car went down it, you'd have to pull in to let right. another car go by. Right. Very uh, yeah. quiet, not busy, nothing much around. There's, well, no one around, really, right. unless yeah. a farmer is in his field. Right. Um, people just walk their dogs down those tracks, basically. Yeah. So as they were walking down there, they were approached by a man and he asked Lynn for money. And she told the man that she didn't have any money because she'd left her purse at home. But she said, I'll go home and get you some money if you just let us go. Mm -hmm. He then forced them into a small wooded area off the track, which is called a COPS, C-O-P-S-E. So that's like what they refer to it as throughout throughout the documentary. So he forces them into this COPS and then Lynn shouts it. Is it like a ditch or? No, it's just like a little um, circle of trees. Okay. So it's like trees that you could be hidden by, but go in the middle of. Oh, okay. So he gets them in this little like hidden bit of trees. Okay. Lynn shouts at Josie, her nine-year-old, to run and get help. Mm-hmm. So Josie starts running, but the man catches up with her and he hits oh. her over the head with a hammer. <gasps> and then he drags her back to the trees. Mm-hmm. He then ties up Lynn, Megan and Josie with strips of towel from the swimming bags and he rips it up and ties them with it. And he also ties a shoelace around Lynn's neck and ties her to the tree. And he ties uh, Megan with her own tights to the tree. So Lynn and Josie are blindfolded with with the towel as well, like same strips of towel. And the attacker told them, I'm just going to tie you up, but you can free yourself later. He then beat Lynn over the head with the hammer and killed her. Mm. And in the autopsy, he'd hit her at least 15 times. Wow. Then next he hit Josie again until she uh, was just unconscious. And he also um, hit Megan with a hammer. So... This is the horrible bit. So Lucy, the dog, was also tied up and killed with a hammer because she was making a lot of noise. Oh. I mean, it's all horrible. It is horrible. But I was like, in my head, I was like, oh my God, he's not going to kill the dog, is he? Yep. So, for fuck's sake. Yeah, the um, dog. And the so, dog was probably trying to protect them or warn or... Yeah, apparently it was just going mad, trying to protect its owners and stuff. So yeah. in all it, all in all, the attack took 15 minutes, and that was it. And then the man fled in his car. What was the point of so, that? So honestly, there's no robbery. Yeah. There's no sexual assault. There's no motive for this other than mm. control and murder. Yeah. So when they didn't return home, their father and Lynn's husband, Sean Russell who's also a doctor. They're both doctors of, uh, I think, like geology. Okay. So they both, you know, got really great jobs and really successful. Uh, So Dr. Sean Russell, he called the police and the search started. So they were looking for them all night. And then the bodies were found around 12.30 in the morning the next day after the police stumbled across a child's swimsuit in the grass and then followed that trail to a small gathering of trees. Aww. Where they found the bodies. That was so fast, Sean Russ- con- you know, yeah. considering that he, like, they didn't come home in a couple hours. Straight away, mm-hmm. the police were like, all right, let's search for them. Although it sounds like it wasn't like a busy town or a busy city. It's like, what else is going on? Yeah. And, and obviously, they knew that they had 
gone to the school and had a swimming gala and that's the last place they would have seen them. So right. I guess they just had to search all the separate routes home you would have possibly yeah. gone. Right. So it yeah, it kind of wasn't like the most difficult mystery to solve, like mm-hmm. where they could have been. So Sean was contacted and told that all of his family had been murdered. Okay. And as is protocol, there was a doctor called to um, announce the that the bodies uh, were definitely dead. Yeah. And he confirmed that Lynn and Megan um, were dead. And then he checked nine-year-old Josie and discovered that she still had a very faint pulse. Okay. So she was rushed to King's College Hospital in London where she was saved. Wow. So she wasn't able to speak and she'd lost a lot of her motor skills and she had to learn to speak and, and walk again. It was a really slow recovery and she had to have she had a hole in her head where her brain was exposed oh. above her left ear that was caused by the hammer blows so they had to take out a piece of her brain and then cover her head from a skin graft from her leg oh, oh. and then she was okay st- <laughs> okay i'm stop there's no more medical stuff got to rest um, for a second i'm just going to say okay. like i was wondering what happened because clearly your story started with like here's what the man said here's the dog going crazy like yeah like how would you know that right how would we have known that so yeah i'm glad that she survived Mm -hmm. yeah so lucky so she was really embarrassed of that injury and so she always wore a floppy hat to cover her head so like in all in all the papers she was always wearing um like a cute floppy hat don't be embarrassed you're a trooper i know right so the police had interviewed people around the area at the time. They reported, so a man reported seeing a beige car pull into a lay-by on the day of the murders and throw something into the bushes and then drive away. Mm. So he went He went to see what he'd thrown in the bushes and he discovered a string bag with strips of bloody towel in it. Oh, wow. So the police recovered that, which is obviously good news. Yeah. A woman also reported that a man was driving erratically that day in a beige car and she gave a description of him to the police, and that later came out as an e-fit. Okay. So he was around 5'10", with sandy short hair and a round face. And when Josie became well, they also asked her for a description of the day's events, which is how we know what happened. Right. Um, with her mum being asked for money and Josie running away. But she couldn't remember anything past the second hammer blow. Mm. So she described the man much as the same sorry, much the same as the woman in the car had described him, making it extremely likely that they were looking for somebody with a beige car. Okay. Police, however, couldn't find any viable suspects despite interviewing known criminals in the area. Like, everyone was alibied out. Nobody fit the description. Mm. A local psychiatrist then called the police to say he thought the man could have been one of his patients. Oh. And that man was 37-year-old Michael Stone. So he was a heroin addict and he was known for robbing sheds to support his habit. So that they kind of thought maybe, you know, the robbery element, um, him asking Lynn for money. Mm -hmm. And he had a long rap sheet, including stabbing a childhood friend in the chest after they had an argument. Gosh. But that man survived. Okay. He, so that's why he's not in fucking prison right now. Right. Uh, He also told his therapist that he would kill someone by smashing their head in. Okay. And he had also attacked somebody with a hammer when he robbed them, but the hammer was already at the house. He didn't take that hammer with him. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that's his MO. Uh, 
but he has previously attacked somebody with a hammer. Okay. It sounds like a pretty strong match. And yeah. maybe he got that hammer in the first place and was like, oh, I like this as a weapon. And so from then on, he yeah. took a hammer with him. Pretty effective. Like, yeah. Um, so he was arrested on the 17th of July, 1997, just over a year after the crime. He denied any knowledge of the crime and he was remanded on custody, sorry, and was remanded in custody and they arranged an ID parade. Josie was asked to pick him out of a lineup through like a two-way mirror. So she didn't have to, like, he didn't see her or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out that she couldn't pick him out. Okay. Of all the guys in the lineup, she was like, I just, I don't know. Oh, poor Josie. That sounds so stressful. Yeah, like, obviously it needs to be done, but yeah. fucking hell, talk about, like, re-traumatizing yourself. Yeah, and if if none of the men look familiar, but you also want to pick someone because you want- Yeah, the pressure. Yeah, you, you really want to, like, find the guy and you're, and then at the end of the day, you're like, sorry, none of these men- Look familiar to me. That sounds so stressful. I mean, good for her for not just picking one. Yeah, you know exactly. Right. She was like, no, I just don't know. Which is pretty honest of a 10-year-old. Right. Or an 11-year-old at that point. Yeah. Uh, So in his interviews, Stone initially answered no comment to all the questions. But then he later on went to explain all of his movements and offer up his blood and DNA to prove that he wasn't the murderer. Okay. On the 23rd of September, while he was on remand, Stone asked if he could be moved to solitary confinement for his own safety because prisoners were making up stories about his involvement in the crime. Mm. So he was placed in a segregation cell next to a fellow heroin addict named Damien Daly. And three days later, Damien told police that Stone had confessed to him through a pipe in the cell. Oh. And... I watched the documentary and yeah. they go to the prison and they like speak through the pipe to see if you would actually be able to hear someone and you can. Okay. So it's like a really old prison and usually you'd expect a segregation cell to be, you know, soundproof and sure. whatever. But yeah, this is a really old prison and you could definitely hear people yeah. uh, through the pipes. So they made sure that that part of it was viable. I don't know if I trust this guy though. If everyone in prison oh, he's knows a piece of shit. why Stone is in prison or why he might possibly be in prison, it's just like the first guy that comes forward, oh, he confessed to me, please give me a sweeter deal so that I can yeah. get out of prison. I don't know if I would trust yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, prisoner confessions have never been top drawer information, have they? Like. <laughs> Like, they, like, it's fucking annoying. Like, they say, like, oh, sex workers are um, unreliable. A fucking prisoner is unreliable. Yeah. A a convicted criminal. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely not the best evidence at all. Uh, So, Stone pleaded not guilty at his trial in October 1998. Mm -hmm. And basically, the prosecution had zero physical evidence that he was at the crime scene. Mm. They had nothing. No fingerprints, no blood evidence, no DNA. There were a couple of hairs that were on um, Lynn, but the hairs didn't match him. And they were like, we don't know who they're from. But they could be from anywhere. Like, she's just gone to a school to pick up her kids. Like, they could be from absolutely anything. Right. So that's all they had. And even that didn't match him. So 
all the evidence they had was circumstantial. And Damien Daly, the guy who said he heard the confession, he was introduced and the judge basically asked the jury to consider if this confession was true. So the judge said, if you don't think this confession is true, you have to find him not guilty. Mm, Because this confession is basically all they have. Right. So they found him guilty. He was convicted of two murders and one attempted murder. What the jury were not told in that trial was that the prisoners had access to the daily papers and that every detail Damien recounted was available in the papers. So he was saying things like, um, Josie ran away Mm -hmm. and I caught up with her. Mm. And I killed the dog because it was making loads of noise. And I asked them for money and they said no. Every single one of those details was in the paper. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like when you get a prison confession from another prisoner, like, oh, he told me. There's got to be some extra information in there for you to have a legitimate case. Yes. Something only the killer would know, basically. Yes, exactly all the details are there for everyone to read so it makes it extra shaky Mm -hmm. and in the documentary they go they find the papers that were out on that day and they skim them all and find Mm -hmm. the evidence Mm -hmm. like it's they they go really deep in this documentary it's really good okay uh so after that uh damien later admitted to, to the same papers that he was lying in his testimony okay So that led to a retrial. Yeah. Yeah, basically unsafe conviction. So in 2001, a retrial began. However, the prosecution had found more witnesses this time. So they found some friends of Michael Stone Mm -hmm. and they were called Lawrence Calder and Cherie Bat and they were a couple. And they told the jury that they had seen blood on Stone's hoodie, which he tried to cover up when they commented on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said they'd also seen a bloody toolkit in his car. Oh. They also had another prisoner who all, who testified that Stone had confessed to him. Okay. So Stone convinced, sorry, Stone denied all of this stuff. He's like, they're all making it up. That didn't go down very well because he was again convicted <laughs> and sentenced to life imprisonment. So that was for, yeah, again, two counts of murder and one for attempted murder. I have a so question he, about this yeah. Mr. Stone, Stone person. If he really is confessing to people in prison, mm-hmm. why doesn't he just confess? Like, if you're just telling random people... Yeah. Well, it's, really... a good, it's a good question, right? Yeah. Well, the, the other answer to that is that he didn't confess. Yeah, that's and true. And the but... prisoners are making it up, so they get a <laughs> right. day out at court. Yeah. <laughs> Because even a day out of prison and going into court is a treat it's if you're in it. prison for 20 yeah. years. Like, right. It's a change of scene. You probably get some coffee. Like, you know. <laughs> you get to see people you haven't seen. You, yeah, you probably get lunch. Like, people pay attention to you. Yeah. You're treated like you're important. So yeah, uh, you can see why someone would make it up. And yeah. they've got nothing to lose. They've got everything to gain. He also refuses to plead guilty because if he if he did uh admit his guilt then he would be up for parole this year 2022 and he could potentially have a parole hearing this year and potentially get out but he refuses to do that okay so there is something in that as well i mean 
there are some people who just refuse to plead guilty to things they haven't done. So yeah. Yeah. that's something to consider. Mm-hmm. In 2017, that's when this documentary came out that's really good. It's two-parter called The Chillenden Murders. And they basically get a panel of forensic and police experts to reevaluate all the evidence in the case. They go right back to the beginning. They get all the files. They go through everything. Ooh, and sounds, this sounds juicy. It is fucking juicy. And they're trying they're trying to see if Stone is guilty or not. Yeah. So they reveal that the shoelace and the ripped up towel that was tested from the scene contained no DNA from Stone. Oh. Okay. So it had male DNA on it, but it wasn't his. Hmm. So the DNA is from an unknown person. They also look into a confession that they've received from another serial killer. Oh. So. Who's that? Do you know the serial Levi Belfield? No? Have you done a story on him already? The thing is, he is so fucking prolific and they Mm. think he did so many murders that I've mentioned him in passing about another murder that he might have done. Yeah, that's why it sounds familiar, because I swear you've mentioned it before. Yeah, so he apparently said to another prisoner that he was the killer. Okay. And then the prisoner told the prison guards, and then he said, I just made that up. I didn't really confess. Yeah. But he is also a a fuckhead who, like, (laughs) he's just a a fucking manipulative piece of shit. Like, and he knows he's never getting out of prison, so he might just say stuff to... Right. You know, just, just see what people it. say. Yeah. Yeah, he's a complete psychopath. Bit bit about him. He was convicted of killing three women, including the infamous killing of the schoolgirl Millie Dowler. Mm. Okay. If you remember that. Yeah. He and he attacked at least two of his victims with uh, a hammer. Mm. So and he had a real hatred of women. And was this and in he, the nineties as well? Uh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he had a real hatred of women. So when it comes to the crime of the Chillenden murders and you're like, what the fuck is the motive? Yeah, right. The motive is just misogyny and hatred. Yeah. Because that's why he... There's no... He didn't sexually assault two of the women that he uh, killed. Just pure he rage. literally... Yeah, just pure rage. Okay. Uh, to add to that, the description and e-fit of the murderer is a much better fit to Levi Belfield than it is to Stone. Okay. Josie described the attacker as being between 20 and 30 years old, which Belfield would have been at the time. Yeah. And she described him as scruffily dressed with short brown hair. So Stone was 37 at the time of the murders and his face was a lot slimmer than the Mm. picture that was released. Okay. So for the documentary, the BBC got DNA from members of Belfield's family to try and test the towel and the shoelace against Levi Belfield's DNA. And in the show, Dr. Georgina Meakin states that Belfield could not be ruled out as a DNA match. okay. And she found similar DNA profiles between both the samples. Yeah. So Michael Stone can 100% be ruled out Mm -hmm. and Levi Belfield can't. So that's something to think about. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Towards the end of November 2017, lawyers for Michael Stone announced that they had new evidence of his innocence which included a confession by Belfield. So during a press conference in London, Stone solicitor Paul Bacon claimed that Belfield had admitted to the murders to a serious sex offender at HMP Franklin in Durham. And he alleged that the confession included information about the murders which had not been made public. Mm. 
He, as I said, Belfield then denied the denied that he committed the murders and that he made the confession. But then, in February twenty two, sorry, in February twenty twenty two of this year, wow, Stone's lawyer Paul Bacon said that Belfield had officially confessed to the murders in a four page statement. <gasps> oh, wow! But the police are having none of it. The detective responsible for investigating Belfield's known crimes, Colin Sutton, stated to the press, knowing Belfield as I do, this could be him playing mind games. Mm, okay. Did you say this already? Is Belfield dead? No, he's alive. Oh, Very really? much alive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's in, he's in HMP Franklin. Okay. To conclude, Michael Stone remains in prison and he still maintains his innocence. Wow. That's yep. tricky. Uh-huh. I kind of... And do you know what? I said I didn't know, but I kind of fucking think he did it. Stone? Like Lee, Levi Belfield. Oh, No, okay. Levi Belfield. I don't think Stone did it. I, I mean, Stone is a psychotic piece of shit. Yeah. Like, he has done some fucked up stuff. He, like, threatens to kill people all the time. <laughs> okay. But he never actually killed anyone. Well, he stabbed a guy in the chest, but the guy luckily but, didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't attack like women as yeah. his mo. Like he has a he had a girlfriend, and like in the documentary, they speak to him when he's in prison. Yeah, and he said, "I had a girlfriend, and my parole officer said, I don't think you two are good for each other, or something." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "I can't believe you said that. How would you like it if I came to your house and killed your entire family and burnt your house down?" <laughs> he was like, "Do you know what I mean?" I was like, "No, not really." <laughs> That's not really like a reasonable response to what that that guy said to you. He's like, you know, how would you feel if I was like, but he didn't do that to you. Yeah. (laughs) Where did that come from? That came out of left field. He's got like rage problems. Okay. Yeah. Severe rage problems. And it sounds like, and even though he did, okay, I'm being nice and maybe it'll come out in a couple of years that he did actually do it, but- the two things that stick out to me. Okay, he stabbed someone. He tried to stab someone. Yeah. He lived. That was with a knife. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to any... He didn't try and stab someone then on. He did try and attack someone with hammers at another point, mm-hmm. but whatever. Also, the fact that I do put weight... <laughs> whatever. On- <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do put weight on the fact when... Someone will consistently, even if they have the chance for a plea deal or parole, they still say that they're innocent. And the fact that he's done that, I put weight to that. Yeah, I do too. But then I think about Stephen Avery. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the most confusing cases in the world. And he refuses to say he did it. But then maybe, oh, I don't know, we can't get I, down a fucking... No, we, we can't We can't do get that. down making a murder hole. There's no time. <laughs> My simple answer for him on that one is that he's covering for someone else. And yes, that's, I think, some of the biggest murders where we don't know the answer, like JonBenet Ramsey, or I started thinking about it when you mentioned it a couple weeks ago, OJ covering for his son. That yeah. is... A thing that it's, it's a viable theory with the John Monet Ramsey one, for example. Mm. Obviously, something happened in that house. Yes, that they must know about. Right, but they're just refusing to admit. Yeah, and you're never going to know. So yeah, with the Stephen Avery thing, 
he's refusing to say he did it. Yeah. But her fucking bones were found in a right. burn barrel on the property. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Something the- happened. <laughs> <laughs> Returning to making a murderer. Yeah. That's our thesis. <laughs> but back to this case, I do think it's a legitimate thing that the fact that they say like stone can be ruled out, but bellflower can't. Bellfield, but yes. Or sorry, (laughs) Bellfield. That's pretty big to say that. It is. And like DNA doesn't lie. Right. People do. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, this, like, she didn't say, Josie didn't say the guy was wearing gloves. So for you to rip up a towel and then tie people up with it. Yeah. And have zero DNA on that towel. Like, the fact that they found the towel is really lucky. Right. The fact that he, someone saw him throw a towel into the bush. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible good luck. And then you've got that, you know, as a, as a real piece of evidence. What does Belfield look like? Oh my God. He looks like a fucking wombat. (laughs) Like he's a big fat. He's six foot one, but he looks short. You love using wombat as a descriptor these days. (laughs) (laughs) He's like a big bulldog, fat, gross, big round face, little piggy eyes. Like, he just looks like a piece of shit, basically. And does she, did Josie ever, has she ever said like, oh, he, he matches what maybe I saw or? No. Mm. No, they haven't asked her. Um, I'm sure they have asked uh, her. They just haven't released oh, maybe. That information. Also, the police are convinced they have the right guy and mm. they don't want to entertain yeah. the fact that they've got a wrong conviction. Yeah. Which that's is typical. That's frustrating when cops are so stuck on like, no, it is this person. And yeah, a possibility that it isn't. Obviously, that was a horrific crime in a really nice, picturesque, cute yeah. part of the country. Right. And can you imagine the pressure to f- find the person that did it? Right. Because you've got a fucking maniac killing people with a hammer for yeah. no other reason than they just want to kill someone. Right. So no women are going to feel safe walking down a country lane. Like, he yeah. killed children. Yeah. So to make everything right again, in quotation marks, you need to find whoever did that. Yeah. You can see why they were like, shit, we've got to get somebody for this yeah, to maintain peace, basically. Right. right. The funny thing is as well, uh, it was on Crime Watch and Jill Dando is presenting Crime Watch because it's around the right time. Yeah. And then she later goes on to get assassinated by somebody. Oh, so it's really yeah. creepy. That is creepy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess it'll come to light. I hope so. Because the thing is, they don't, they didn't have uh, Levi Belfield's DNA. They had Levi Belfield's like familial DNA. Maybe if they actually get his particular DNA, there could be a better chance. Right. Why can't they? If that's what I was wondering, I thought he was dead because they didn't have his, they had to get his family's DNA. He's in prison. Why can't they just get it now? Because like A, the police refuse to do it and they're the ones that will have access to his DNA. Okay. So if the police agree to retest, then they yeah. could. Yeah. And B, he wrote to Paul Stone's, Paul Stone's, that isn't his name, Michael Stone. They wrote to, <laughs> <laughs> fuck me. They wrote to his lawyer 
Levi Belfield wrote to his lawyer saying, it wasn't me, I'll give you my DNA. And then the lawyer was like, sure, go ahead. And he never wrote back. Okay. So he's now refusing to give DNA. Yeah. So the only way to get it is to make the police test again. Okay. All right. I feel like something's going to come up in the next 10 years. While we're still alive, something's going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I really... Maybe DNA will improve to the point where they don't they don't need his DNA. They can just use his family's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's getting better all the time. But yeah, I, I really do think it was him. He was driving his girlfriend's car, which was a beige car oh. at the time. Okay. And he sold it a couple of days later. All right, all right. I think you've convinced me. You need to watch the program. It's really yeah. good. Although it's BBC, so it's hard to get where you are, isn't it? I'll see if I can find it somewhere. It's probably on YouTube. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great story. I've been obsessed with it for like a month now. And I couldn't believe you chose uh, Blunt Force Trauma because I was like, (laughs) now's my time. (laughs) Cool. Well, yeah, listeners, check out the documentaries and let us know your theories as well. Yeah, I would love to know everyone's theory on it, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I will speak to you next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye.